a long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 11, 2001, A Space Odyssey, issue number 9, August 1977, cover date. Hello and welcome back to the Comic Book Time Machine. This is Ben, Ben Avery, your fellow traveling companion as we go back in time to 1977, where we are going to read a comic book by Jack Kirby, 2001, Space Odyssey, issue number nine. I think I've mentioned this before. I knew, I knew Jack Kirby was an artistic genius, but I hadn't experienced it in a way that really caught me. I've read Fantastic Four stuff, but usually I think it was the, the Kirby stuff was black and white in essential reprints. I've read Devil Dinosaur in that omnibus I mentioned before, and I'm rereading it right now, but that didn't catch on as much as what I'm reading here. And I'm, I actually picked up, um, at that same dollar, uh, dollar bin, uh, a copy of, uh, The Eternals that Jack Kirby did. And, so I'm going to read that to just kind of get a, a flavor for, for some of the other stuff he was doing. And especially just seems like Eternals is kind of tapping into that same kind of thing that he's trying to tap into here with 2001. But 2001, a space odyssey issue number nine is the birth of a superhero from out of the monolith. The cover promises the most awesome creation of all Mr. Machine. And the cover shows us Mr. Machine launching up into the air with his extended, Extended legs with his arms extending out as he's going to give a great big hug to an egg ship with a man sitting in it. It's like, you know, those legs, the eggs that the pantyhose used to come in and sit it upside down and the bottom that you're holding, it's upside down, but it's solid. And then the top part has, um, you know, it's clear. You can see through it and you can see the man sitting inside shooting a gun through the, the window there at Mr. Machine. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I think I did this with my action figures. I'm pretty sure I put G.I. Joe guys in my mom's pantyhose eggs. Uh, and I know, in fact, I'm positive I did because Mork and Mindy, Mork had his egg spaceship. And so I know that I put my guys into those eggs to be like little spaceships and stuff. Anyway, this cover is just wonky. It's got that egg ship. There's another one crashing behind and, and, and leave a trail of flames as a, a bad guy is jumping out of it. We were promised the birth of a superhero and we are given the birth of a superhero. Stanley presents 2001 A Space Odyssey based on concept of the MGM movie by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. Edited, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby. Lettered and inked by Mike Royer. Colored by G. Rossus. And enjoyed by Archie Goodwin. <laughs> uh, 
This is the Odyssey of X-51, a thinking, quote-unquote, computer. He is about to face the world as it is, a world not quite ready for his kind. And as it does to all of us, the world will make of him what he is to become. What will be the fate of the ultimate weapon raised as a man? Read, birth of a superhero. There's Machine Man. He was reaching out for the monolith before. The monolith is not there anymore for this issue. And he's thinking to himself, I've been hunted. Maybe a more robotic voice. I've been hunted, fired upon, and thrown into this maximum security cell. But the weapon system in these fingers shall avenge this greatest indignity of all. The removal of my face. Yes, the removal of X-51's face. He's having a bad day. So he monologues about it for us for a few pages. There's a lot of monologuing going on here. And he gives us the context of everything that's going on. And he is basically, this is Mr. Machine. He was captured last time. The monolith helped him escape. And now he has to get out of this military installation. The monolith is gone. X-51, Mr. Machine, he is on his own. And he is fighting his way through. And so this is, oh my goodness. He needs to escape, but he also needs his face. He's mad. But he's smart, and he's sneaky, and he's powerful, and he tears through the base, and he finally finds, he's tearing through finally to find the doctor who can give it back to him. Um, but, but let's stop here for a second, because we're getting, first of all, we're getting some crazy stuff going on, like Mr. Machine, you know, stealing someone's helmet so he can, you know, look like, I don't even know why he's stealing the guy's helmet, but he knocks out a guard, steals his helmet, but then he also steals his voice and is able to mimic that guy's voice so he could trick the soldiers to come in there and he traps the soldiers in where he was trapped and he's just fighting his way through the base and this is raw to me this is i'm looking at this and i'm thinking to myself this is raw unbridled kirby no editorial oversight he's just able to take this and draw this crazy fight scene as he's going through then it stops and there's just lots of dialogue and then back to crazy fights it's high energy it's brutal it's violent I like X-51, even though he talks too much, um, but he's cool looking and he's fighting people and looking cool doing it, man. And I have no idea how we got here to X-51 from the movie with Hal, but we're here now and I am enjoying myself. This is rampaging robot on the loose and having an existential crisis. Let's go. There's nothing subtle here. We're cutting loose. We've got big ideas. We've got dialogue. It's not subtle. Everything's on the nose. Everything's big. Everything's energetic. Everything's just powerful and muscular. But it's not even crazy enough yet. It's big and it's broad, but it's not crazy. And so suddenly the military just stops fighting and says, okay, we'll give you your face. And they give him his face and they give him his clothes. And he's back to looking like a superhero. And there's some nice dialogue between him and the military here on the page. As he's, he's saying, um, they, they say, we're returning the garments you wore on arrival at the complex. Huh? You make it sound like a visit to a health spa instead of abduction under duress. I'm not authorized to make any comment except you're free to leave whenever you wish. And I wouldn't entertain any other notion, Doc, but don't think I haven't enjoyed my stay because I haven't. And the doctor is just uh, amazed. He's like, you look like a human. I can't believe it. You forget my eyes. They'll always remind me of what I really am. But I'll learn to live with it. Now that you've cleared up my past, I can deal with the future. And then a soldier comes up to him and says, remember this machine. 
humans still outnumber you three billion to one. And, and the machine, Mr. Machine says, you remember this, Blake. If by chance we should meet again, call me Mr. Mr. Machine, if you like. But don't smile when you say it. And, and the soldier says to him, I was ordered to shake your hand when you leave. But Mr. Machine just turns away from the offered hand and goes and flies away to be alone to think about his existential crisis. And then they, we go back to the big doctor and the big doctors asked, why did you let him go? How could you let him go? And he says, I let him go because what are we going to do? And I put a tracking device on him. So it's all, all everything's okay. I want to go back to that dialogue there. This dialogue is so over the top. Uh, like I said, the soldier says, remember this machine. And then Mr. Machine fires back and says, if we should ever meet again, call me Mr. Mr. Machine, if you like, but don't smile when you say it. And it's referencing, they call me Mr. Tibbs. I, I, I can't imagine that it's not referencing that. Now, they call me Mr. Tibbs is a line from the movie In the Heat of the Night. Where Virgil Tibbs is, you know, basically dealing with a whole bunch of racism from these white cops. You know, they say, what do you, what do they call you? Where you come from? And he says, they call me Mr. Tibbs, you know, and then one of the sequels to In the Heat of the Night is actually even called, they call me Mr. Tibbs or they call him Mr. Tibbs. And I'm just looking at this dialogue and thinking to myself, we've got all this stuff where he's feeling like he's never going to be accepted. He's not a human, but he is human. He feels human. What am I? What, what, what am I supposed to be? Nobody accepts me. They call me these, they call me machine. They call me, you know, gear man or whatever. Um, is Jack Kirby really trying to make some statements about racism too, by using this machine? Uh, this Mr. Machine. Now, Mr. Machine becomes Machine Man later on because of the the phrase Mr. Something. I think Mr. Coffee was something that was in that was going on, and there were some other things that they just weren't able to do a magazine called Mr. Machine. But the intention here is for this character be to be known as Mr. Machine. And so I'm wondering, what is Jack Kirby doing here? Now, is he trying to make a statement about racism here? I don't know, but how can it be otherwise? I, I just, I'm, I'm a little bit flabbergasted here, just how broad and how this is just going everywhere, everywhere. So anyway, he flies off and he's walking through the forest and he's thinking about things. And well, what happens? Well, the monolith is back. And of course the monolith is back because remember the monolith and the space baby, they're the stars of the show. Now I don't think Mr. Machine is going to become a space baby in the next issue. I haven't read the next issue. The only thing I do know is, unfortunately, I know that there are Mr. Machine stories after this where he becomes Machine Man and everything like that. And I'm not sure if I'm going to dive into those or not. I, I I don't have any. I don't have plans to get into more with with Mr. Machine after issue ten of two thousand one. Anyway, he meets the monolith again, and, and again Kirby is just kind of vague here. He says, as if in answer to the problem plaguing X fifty one, the monolith appears. What? It's the strange object that materialized in the cell. That was last issue, remember? JK, which stands for Jack Kirby. Not just kidding. And then back to the caption the narration. It's not, its nature is unfathomable, but there's no denying that contact with it has helped him to escape. He approaches the thing without fear. There is no exchange of words, but there is communication. And then this dialogue that I just don't understand, which is unfortunately does happen more often than it should. And it, 
with, with Kirby's writing, though. No, I shall not seek my destiny. It will find me and lead me to my destined path. I guess that's what the monolith is telling him. Um, he Somehow he's come to that conclusion where he's not going to look for his destiny. His death, destiny will come to him. And I guess it does in the form of a child who comes and th- this boy comes, his, his aunt needs help. There's a flat tire. And so he helps them with a the flat tire by lifting up the car and good heavens, you know, and he fixes the tire, puts the car back down and then they give him a ride to his destiny, I guess. And, and the little boy, he's, he's, you've got me excited. You look like one of the Marvel superheroes. And so I'm, I'm wondering, okay, in the context of this story right now, it seems like the Marvel superheroes exist as superheroes on a, in comics or something like that. But he says, you've accomplished wonders, Mr. Machine. This car never rode this well before. And then the boy says, I told you, he's a superhero. They can do anything. <laughs> and here's where it starts to get a little bit even more crazy. We kind of steer into, into Wacky Town for a short stay. We get a, a our villain. His name is Mr. Hotline. So we have Mr. Machine and Mr. Hotline. And he heard that an X model is out there and he has a car that looks like, you know, that Batmobile, the old Batmobile with like the face on the front. It looks like that, but it looks kind of like it has kind of some horns. And inside you've got Mr. Hotline and in his silhouette, it looks like the front of that car. So he's, he's designed the car to look like his silhouette when he's wearing a mask over his jowled fat goatee goateed face and his he's wearing a fedora the 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 sides of the fedora are are curled up to look kind of like horns and so the 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 car face looks like his face and he kind of looks like a a fat green hornet if he was a 70s pimp in a movie uh wearing that half mask that covers you know his eyes but not his his mouth he's wearing a fur coat has a cane his chauffeur sitting in front of him looks like he's some sort of ventriloquism dummy. Um, the only thing is with that, we, we don't really get a good look at him again. So it's, it might just be just the, the line, the line shading and something like that. I don't, I don't know if he's meant to be a ventriloquist dummy, but he sure does look like one. So he calls the hover squad and those are the guys. Finally, we're on page you know, 27, the last three pages of the book. And finally, those Eggmen come, and they're, these dudes are wearing jumpsuits. They look like Hydra, uh, and they're they're flying in those eggs I was talking about with their guns, and they attack. And, and Mister Machine says, "These dum dums are unequal to the weapon system in my fingers." I'm just trying to imagine a robot calling people dum dums, but but there he is, and he he does it. And the fight is fast and furious, and again brutal. I, I just have to say, though, Mr. Machine, he's too powerful. He's got those stretchy arms and legs, and he tears the eggs apart. He's bulletproof. And and then the, the scene is too short. I mean, I wanted to see another fight like we had at the beginning. It's crowded out by the end of the book. We just have to get to the end. We have to get done. We're out of pages, so we're out of story. And it turns out, though, that the fight was short and quick and easy because it was just a test to see if he really was an X model. And Mr. Hotline is happy because you know what? He is. And so next issue, we're, we're asked, does a machine have a soul? That question leads to action never seen before. Stand by for Hotline to Hades. So they're asking us these questions about a soul. They're bringing up Hades. They're bringing up a hotline, but Mr. Hotline, 
His hat gives him a silhouette. It gives him horns. So are we looking at Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 giving us a story about a descent into hell by a machine that has sentience? And you know what? I hope the answer is yes, because that idea excites me and it confounds me and it makes me feel weird inside. I have no idea where this is going and I have no idea how we got here from 2001. I really want to find some more interviews or something with Jack Kirby about 2001. But I, I just don't know. I mean, we're, we're getting old, a weird old school gangster, like supervillain. We've got a superhero whose secret identity that he's hiding is that he's a robot. And we've got this pulpy sci-fi philosophy stuff going on. We've got these good ideas. But like I said, how does 2001 bring us here? I just want to know when Jack Kirby watched 2001, a space odyssey, is this what he was moved to do? This is so it's so strange, so weird, and so interesting. But that's all for now. Uh, join me next episode when we continue looking at the cover date, August 1977, Marvel Sci-Fi Comics. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, John Carter, Warlord of Mars number three.